sure it's on the recording device. Thank you. Thank you so much again for being here this morning. As we're moving through 1 John, you know, as we study the Word of God, and we've said this many times, and you already know this, there is a double activity in studying God's Word, which sometimes we're not completely aware of. There is, first of all, the activity of information, of knowledge, of just hearing, understanding, this and that. Two people here, they did that, they went there, this means, and so on. So there's that informational explanation, that knowledge. And that's extremely important because without that, we can't come to know God. We come to know Him because He gives us knowledge of His being, of His presence through the things we experience. But if we're not careful, and what so often happens with believers is that the information and the knowledge remains knowledge only. And as a result, we can talk about things and we can discuss them and we can say, I like that, I didn't like that, agreed, I didn't agree, whatever. But what is most critical about us sitting under the ministry of the Word in a class and sermons and personal sharing and counseling, what is most critical is that we desire, ask for, seek, embrace the changing, transforming, conforming work of the Holy Spirit as He gives us knowledge of the Word and causes that knowledge to become a living reality in our lives so that we can see and others can see <clears throat> there's change in me. I'm being reshaped. I am being reshaped. So hopefully, as we go through 1 John, and I believe the emphasis in 1 John is our fellowship with God. He's talking about that you may know, that you may know that you have eternal life. And this eternal life is about our fellowship with God. That as we go through this, what is happening in us and among us is that as we see that we are the images of this triune being and that he exists in a community of fellowship within himself, that we are finding in our own lives personally and corporately, I am actually understanding and wanting to have fellowship with others and I want my fellowship with others to be deepened and expanded why because this is the kind of fellowship that we have been brought into in Christ and so again this study is not just about information it's about allowing the Holy Spirit through the study and the ministry of the Word of God to literally produce in us what we he has done in us on a positional basis in Christ to produce it in a functional basis among one another. Father, thank you so much for your word. Father, thank you for ministering to us. Father, for caring for us. 
Father, for forbearing with us, for being patient. Father, for giving us your word of instruction. Father, where would we be without your word? So, Father, we pray that today as we study, <clears throat> you will minister deeply to each one of us, that not a person here will leave without having been touched by your spirit and in an essential and needed way and category. Father, we ask you to revive the gifts of the Spirit, especially as they're talked about in 1 Corinthians 12, Father. We want to be a power-packed church. So, Father, we pray that the Holy Spirit will, in increase, increasing ways, bring about the demonstration of His presence, the, the revelation of Jesus exalted as we see the great works of God among us and through us and in us. We ask you for this, so that your name may be exalted in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> this morning, let us read 1 John chapter 3, verses 19 to 24. And by this we know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. For whoever, whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from Him because we keep His commandments and do what is pleasing in Him. And this is His commandment, that we believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as He has commanded us. Whoever keeps His commandments abides in Him and He in them. And by this we know that He abides in us, by the Spirit whom He has given us. How many of you either heard by CD or were here last week for last week's lesson? Now, remember how last week's lesson ended. It ended with this. <clears throat> but if anyone has this world's goods and sees his brother in need, if you have stuff and you see another brother or sister in Christ and they have needs, and yet we close our hearts against that person, well, we're not going to share with, for whatever reason. We don't do very much. How does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk or in deed only, but in deed and in truth. Now, after last week's class, some of us, I know I did, and I'm the teacher, and probably most of us, if not all, probably many of us experience failure in this area. I mean, how many of us are getting pretty good grades, A's, you know, in, in loving the brethren the way Jesus loves the brethren? How many of us consider maybe even C's? How many of us think we're probably in the D area? Now, we're not in the F area because if you're in the F area, if you're failing, you're not a Christian. And so I would say I'm making a D plus. Some of you may think a D minus, <laughs> but I always grade myself a little more positively than others would grade me. Last week's message, love one another. Now, when I say that, think about that person. You know that person. How many of you have that person in your life? Come on. How many of you know? You know what I mean? That person. Only about four of you have that person in your life. All of us know about that person. Don't look at me like that. I'm not that person. Some of you are saying, yeah, I know. Yeah, that person. Okay, if I'm that person. How many of us know that 
Every one of us have at least that person in our life. Think about that person and evaluate yourself. Am I loving that person the way Jesus loves me? And if you're thinking about that and if you're evaluating yourself by the Spirit, you're probably experiencing failure. I'm not doing as well as God desires me to do. Amen? I'm just not doing that well. <clears throat> Here's the difficulty. Feeling failure is prime opportunity for Satan's activity of condemnation in me. And that's what John is dealing with this morning. You see, because if we're feeling failure, we have to guard ourselves against not feeling failure. Don't misunderstand. The feeling of failure is from God. But in the feeling of failure, we have to guard ourselves as believers from causing that feeling of failure become guilt and condemnation. That's the tension that John wants to deal with in the first couple of verses here as he's about to proceed. He's just told the church about loving one another and probably the Holy Spirit is saying, wait a minute, could you wait a second before we go on, let's deal with this issue of failure, guilt, and condemnation before we continue because if we don't deal with it, they're not going to be able to receive and to actually function in the love that I want them to because feelings of failure won't hurt them, but feelings of guilt and condemnation will inhibit and get in the way of their ability to have fellowship with God and with one another. You see, for the believer, condemnation and guilt, may I say this clearly to you without raising my voice, for the believer... For the believer in Christ, condemnation and guilt, neither of these are from God. Now, can you get that straight this morning? Even if you have sinned seven times in the same area within a 10-minute period, condemnation and guilt are not from God if you are a believer. Now, if you're an unbeliever, I hope all the guilt and the condemnation comes upon you and crushes you to go to the cross. But for us in Christ, you see, neither is from God, and both can inhibit our fellowship with God and our ability to love one another. And this is the issue that John desires to address in these verses. So he says this, By this we know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. Whenever our heart condemns, you see the word condemnation? Condemns us. What are we to know? God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. So let's talk a few moments between distinguishing between feelings and truth. Feelings and truth. Now, we're talking about true feelings, real failure, but we're also talking about real truth. You see, if we are experiencing some level of failure in our obedience, should we be condemned? Should we feel guilt? Because I think 
if you're like many believers, there's several of us in here who may have struggled or still struggling with this issue of guilt and condemnation and feelings and failure and sin. You know? You say, should we, should we feel condemned? The Bible's answer in Christ is an emphatic no. Under no circumstance should a believer ever feel guilt or condemnation. Did I make it clear or should I make it clearer for you? If you didn't hear, let me know and I'll raise my voice on it. Under how much circumstance? No circumstance. You see, John knows that feelings of guilt and condemnation are some of Satan's most powerful schemes to awaken and weaken and undermine our obedience. So here we all of a sudden have seen in that comment that I made, who is the author of guilt and condemnation to a believer? Satan. And the moment I begin to feel guilt, condemnation, is God rejecting me? Am I not saved anymore? Oh, woe is me. What's happening in my life? We know that's the enemy's whisperings to you. Because simply put, the Holy Spirit never speaks that way to a believer. Never does. So let these issues this morning inform your heart so that you can battle against the lies of the devil with the truth of God's word, the sharper than any two-edged sword of his word, and cut to pieces his lies. So how does John protect the church from being overcome by such feelings? He says, this is the way we know we're of the truth and reassure our hearts. How do we know it? That whenever our heart condemns us, we have to remember God is greater than our heart, and God knows how much? Everything. See, what God knows preeminently in that everything is that we are His. I know He knows what I do. I know He knows about all the secrets and the hidden things in my agenda that I'm not, not, I'm not even aware of. And I'm thankful for that because in that knowledge, this total, absolute, complete knowledge of this man, Peter Davidson, and of each one of you. God knows absolutely everything about us, past, present, and even tomorrow. But in that knowledge, he also knows this. We are his forgiven, accepted, forever people. Thank you for saying something. You see, we forget the second part. God knows I did it, you know, he knows, oh God. Let's remember the second part, which is the underpinning of our ability to obey him. Yes, he knows you're no good liar, stinker, hateful, stinky person. That's what you think. That's what you're telling yourself. That's what the enemy is telling you when you're agreeing with him. And God says, that's not true. You're my beloved child. How many of you, hopefully no one would raise a hand on this, so let's not take a chance. Hopefully none of you feel this way. Your child does the same thing wrong four times in a row. How many of you are ready to kick and curse and stomp that child out of you filthy little something? No, this is my daughter. 
my daughter. And yes, she's done something four times in a row, but this is my beloved child. That has to be the underpinning as we consider our failures and understand that we have failed and we still sin. We have to be underpinned by the reality of whose we are and who we are. So John tells the church that if they're feeling guilt and condemnation, there is a distinction between what they feel and what God says about them. In saying this, John is protecting us from Satan's attack, especially when we recognize our failures and faults and even especially our sin. Now notice, we have not said that these feelings and faults are not sinful. Sometimes they are, sometimes they're not. That's too big of an issue to go in this morning. Not all faults or failing is sin, but when sin is in the mix. So even failure without sin, it still happens. We're prone to feel this condemnation and guilt. So let's talk a little bit about conviction or condemnation. You see, the fact is that there will be some level of failure or even sin in the way we love the brethren. May I even say this? There will be failure and sin in all of us regularly until we get a new body. Now, can we just accept that as, I hate to say it, the norm. Why? Because we live in bodies of sin, Paul calls it in Romans 6. This vile body that he calls it in Romans 7. And in Philippians 3, he says, this body of this low estate So we can't stop sinning, but we can, by the power of the Holy Spirit, obey God where sin begins to diminish in our lives. And that's what we're after. We're not after sinless perfection on this side of heaven because we ain't going to get it. But by God's grace, I want a huge diminution in the practice of sin in my life, in my thought, my word, and my deed. And I want to fight for that. And I want to contest against the enemy for that and contest against my flesh for that on a regular basis. So the question is, is what we feel a result of sin, of conviction or condemnation? What you're feeling when you fail, when you sin, is it conviction or is it condemnation? Ask yourself this. When confronted with sin, what do we feel? You see, conviction is the ministry of the Holy Spirit in maintaining us in fellowship with God. When I realize I sin, let me say it this way. I didn't put this in your notes. When I sin and I recognize it's sin, it's always conviction. The devil is never going to convict me. You sin, except to condemn. And so the Holy Spirit is going to convict me that what happened was sin. The devil is going to want to be there causing that conviction of real sin to be corrupted by feelings of condemnation. So we're not talking about maybe is this sin. We're talking about actual sinning activities. Conviction is the Holy Spirit's ministry. 
when convicted of sin, we may feel guilty or even condemn. But we have to reject it. What do you do when you feel condemned or you feel guilty when the Holy Spirit says you sin? Don't wallow in self-pity. Don't wallow in, oh, Lord, I want to do better. You know I want to do better. I'm trying to do better. I just... Don't wallow in that mess, that pig poop of Satan. You see, because an issue of Satan's binding destructive work in you. If your child knocked the glass off the table for the third time in a row, and all of a sudden he's on the floor cowering before you, oh, mommy, I want to do better, please, oh, mommy. You say, what have I done to, what is this? Stand up, sweetheart. Stand up. Don't grovel at my feet. Right? How many of you want your child to grovel like that? God doesn't want us that way. I remember years ago, I had done something, whatever, I don't remember what it was, and I was groveling. I was walking down the street, oh, Lord, I don't want to do this. I don't. And the Lord, literally, I heard this, shut up. Now, he may have not said it, but that's how a word came through to me. God said to me, I felt, don't ever say that again. Don't ever say that again. It's demeaning to my father. It's demeaning to God. When we don't understand his love, his forgiveness, and the power of his work to continue to mature us, and we start, I don't want to do this and that. Let's stop it. Let's start saying this, Father, I have sinned. Create in me a heart of repentance for this. And by the power of your spirit, deal with this issue in me. Because I don't, by the power of the spirit, ever intend to commit that sin again. Let's stop groveling. Let's start rejecting condemnation. Let's start standing up against the attacks of the enemy. Getting up out of the slop that he's wanting us to wallow in. Going to God and getting the activity of the sin cleaned away and continue as mighty men and women in Christ. You see, because a person who's over here being overcome and I don't want to do this can never stand up and carry the armor of God effectively into battle without being slaughtered. Let's examine our hearts. When you're convicted, examine your heart. Do I still have a deep desire to love and to serve and to please God? Even though I've sinned this thing or I failed this way, let me examine my heart. Is my heart to do this sinning or is my heart, in spite of the sinning, to still love and serve and please God? Examine your heart. Get past the activity of sin and look at your heart. What do you really want at the base of who you are? What do you really want? Do you want to continue this sin or do you want to overcome it?
I remember in my life I was struggling with an issue of sin. And I remember one time I had lost the particular battle. And I found myself in prayer saying something that literally unlocked the issue for me. It was just the Holy Spirit speaking through my prayer time. You know how God does that, Phil? You're praying something and you realize, I'm not praying this. This is God through me praying because I ain't that smart. You and I can identify with that, can't you? you notice I didn't include Bill in that. Now, Bill is way smarter than both of us put together. Look, what was I talking about? I forgot. <laughs> I forgot. What was I talking about? You see, Phil, you've knocked me off. I can't remember now what it was I was talking about. Well, I'll come back to it, huh? I'm, I'll come back to it. Oh, I know. Let me say it fast before I forget it again. <laughs> this is what you get for having an old person teach the class, you see. <laughs> I said this. It just came out. I said, Father, I don't have a heart for this. And suddenly it hit me. I don't have a heart for this sin. It's flesh. It's worldly. But Laura, I don't have a heart for it. You see the distinction? My heart was for God. When you're confronted with sin, what does your heart want? What does your heart want? Do you want God or do you really want the sin? Are we grieved over our sin? Do we desire to overcome it? You see, if these are our desires, this is proof that we are children of God who have sinned. It's proof of the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit keeping and drawing us ever closer to Him, even in the midst of our sin. How many of you are glad that when we sin, God does not shove us away and throw us in another room or lock us away, but literally by His Spirit, when we sin, He desires to draw us even closer to Him because the closer to the heart of God that we have fellowship, the more the sin will be destroyed. How do we act toward others when they sin? You see, this is not just an intellectual thing. Oh, guess what God does when I sin? It's how should I also be with the brethren who sin constantly against me? Is there any sin that any of us have ever done that is worse than rejecting the love of God and rebelling against His good rule? Nothing. No combinations of sin. And yet God has lovingly seen me sin and in his spirit and by his spirit he collects me out of the pig poop of sin and draws me closer into fellowship. Condemnation will not allow that to happen and Satan does not want that to happen in you. But if we cooperate with the Holy Spirit and as we confess and as we repent, we submit ourselves to God, 4-7 of James, we resist the devil and he will flee from you as we do what God is calling us to do as we cooperate with the restorative power of God as he is applying the good of his forgiveness to us in Christ 
he is drawing us even further in. And actually, the peculiarity of this is, I will know more about the goodness of God, the love of God, the patience of God, the forbearance of God, the mercy of God, the gentleness of God, etc., 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 as a result of my sin. Now, does that mean we should go on sinning so all that can happen? Read Romans 6.2, and you'll get the answer. If you don't know it, go back to Romans 6.2, and you'll get the answer. So we have to see things clearly. I don't know if I'm going to get through this. This is so important, I think. I felt the Holy Spirit say, this is where I want you to bear down today. I want my people to be freed of any issues of guilt and condemnation so that they may be free. That when they sin, to deal with it effectively and stand up and actually, in Christ, be stronger against sin after I have sinned because I have cooperated with the Holy Spirit than I was when I went into the thing. See, the issue is not a problem of sin. It's a problem of how we deal with it. That's the main issue, I believe, with God. We're told what to do if we confess our sin. Remember 1 John 1, 9. We have to remember the word of Romans 8, 1. What does Romans 8, 1 say? There is therefore, huh? there is therefore, there is therefore, now. What? No condemnation for those who are in Christ. So let's do what James 7, 4, 7 says. Submit yourself to God. Confess. Repent. Go, allow the Holy Spirit to deal with you. Cooperate. Submit yourself to God. Stand against the enemy. You will not make me feel guilty or condemned. You cannot and I will not. I refuse to accept any feelings of guilt or condemnation. And TC, when you resist the devil, he's what? He's going back to hell where he belongs. Resisting because he'll flee from you. The result is Hebrews 12, 11, the peaceable fruit of righteousness. Not the reestablishment of the fellowship with God because we have that in Christ, but the continuance and even the increasing experience of the fellowship in Christ. You see, so many of us allow our failure and our sin to cause us to believe that now what I have to do is now I have to rework all that I have been doing for six months. Now that I have sinned, I have to, in some way, I've fallen down six flights of stairs and I've got now to climb up all these stairs again and bring myself back to the same place I was so I can continue in fellowship with God. This is pig poop. God does not kick us down a flight of stairs and make us reclimb them. We trip and fall, we fall on that stair. It's Satan who wants to kick you down the stairs. I trip and fall, Frank, I get up by the Holy Spirit, and I continue on the stair where I tripped and fall. How many of you caught that? I falled. That's what happens when you talk to an NOA graduate. See, when I sin, I recognize it. 
and I deal with it. And when I feel the peace of God, the love of God, the forgiveness of God, the presence of a holy, loving Father, I feel it in my heart, not in my guts. The fear, the anxiety is in the guts. So let's talk about confidence before God as the last part. See, again, confidence before God and the ability to pray and to walk with God in obedience, this issue has to be dealt with so that what God has created us to be may continue to develop as much as he will develop it in us. You see, having removed con condemnation as an obstacle to the fellowship with God, John enumerates a blessing that is a result of our non-condemning heart. Wow, look at this. Beloved, if our hearts condemn us, we have confidence before God. You see, Joshua is a great example of this. The Lord in Joshua 1 commissions Joshua as a new leader who will lead the army of Israel against, you know, to the promised land, a daunting task. So why can Joshua have confidence confidence before God. Do you see the word confidence? Do you see that word? When I sin, condemnation and guilt washes away my what? Confidence. And the Lord says, I don't want that. Remember, in Christ, you have confidence. And so Joshua knows he's going to have to do this. And the key here is this in Joshua. The key is verse 5 in chapter 1. How can Joshua have confidence to be the one who will lead all of Israel against those mean people on the other side of the promised land and conquer the seven kings of the promised land? How can he have confidence of that? Because here's what verse 5 says. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. This is the key to our confidence in dealing with any issue in our life in Christ. The key is this. When I sin, God does not pack his bags and leave. When this God said, I will never, no ever or ever, there's a whole bunch of negatives in there that are not typically translated. I ain't going nowhere. I am committed to you through the very death of my son and every dastardly deed that you have, are, and ever will commit has been washed away its guilt and its condemnation in Christ when he died on the cross. If God were even to begin to pack his bags, he would be unjust and a liar, and our God is not either. Those feelings are from Satan. Today be freed of them. Because God wants to do a greater work in our heart. This is the key of our confidence. Not just knowing that there's no condemnation in me. That's great. But it's also the other part of it. It's we need to hear the same words that Joshua heard. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Now be honest today. How many of us, I have felt this before. That when I have sinned, especially certain sins, I have felt in the past that God had left me. Am I the only one who's ever felt this? Let's today reassure our hearts before God. Is God going anywhere, Claude? He's not going anywhere. Christ is in us by the Spirit. 
and he's not moving out. He's not moving. Thank God, thank God he's not moving out. I just have some scriptures here for confidence. Are they listed in your bulletin? Psalm, Proverbs 3, 26, 2 Corinthians 3, 4. Do you have all those? Go home and read these confidence scriptures. Those of you who are having any struggle in this, go home and read these scriptures about confidence in Christ. You see, we cannot walk down the path of life with the Lord without having confidence before God. And having confidence before God, now we can overcome all obstacles, just like Joshua. So John now delineates the practical consequences of our confidence. Now that I have confidence before God, you see, groveling and complaining and, oh, I don't want to do this. This is not confidence before God. This is accentuation on me as a failure rather than on Christ as the victor. Are you getting it? Don't accentuate and look at yourself as a failure. Yes, you fail, but the one who is victorious over all sin forever is living inside of me and will produce that victory in me. And if he'll do it in me, he'll do it in each one of us because he's not a respecter of persons. He loves us all equally. All how much? What? Equally. How does he love us? All equally. Not one more than the other. All equally. With the same passion that he loves the son. So verse 22, whatever we ask, now that we have confidence before God, we're not ignoring sin. We're not pretending it's not there. We didn't sweep it under the rug. We dealt with it. And now we have confidence for God. Therefore, whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what is pleasing in his sight. As children of God, we are never to allow any failure or sin to keep us from communing with God. In fact, the conviction of such should propel us into the arms of our loving and faithful Father. When I sin, when you sin, that recognition I need to dash into God's arms, not hide from him and moan in the corner. I need to get up and run as fast as I can to the Father's presence. Even the moment I'm convicted, I don't want to wait until, quote, it kind of wears off and kind of, you know, because I'm a little embarrassed, I feel like a hypocrite. This is God's desire that the moment we sin and we're convicted of it, the moment, get up and run to God. If you wait, the devil will deal. If you delay, the devil will take it away. So don't delay. Run to God. The moment in Luke 15, that boy came to his senses in verse 17, what it says, I'm getting up and I'm going home. And that needs to be my attitude and your attitude. I ain't sitting here no more. I'm getting up and I'm going home. I'm going to embrace this God who has embraced me all eternity see notice how John connects two vital aspects of our fellowship with God two vital aspects whatever we ask from him because we keep his commandments prayer and obedience prayer obedience two legs prayer obedience not two opposing different things the same thing expressed fellowship expressed through prayer fellowship expressed through obedience Although John mentions prayer and obedience, he is really joining them together really as one activity because both of the result are the other and both prove and promote the other. Prayer and obedience. You see, our confidence before God allows us to pray and obey with a confidence that pleases him. 
when I sin, my fleshly propensity is to stop praying and start moaning. Moaning ain't prayer to God. It's moaning. Moaning is about me. Prayer is about this God of grace and glory. Allow our confidence to produce prayer and obedience to God. If we pray in prayer, we commune with God who is our Father who loves us unreservedly and continually, who always has our good in his mind, Romans 8, 28. See, obedience is not what we must do to please God. Because here's another obstacle of Satan. I've sinned. What is the thought? Come on. What now must I do to get back with God? No thoughts like that from any of you? What, what do I need to do now? I, I need to go do this. I need No. No. Again, that's the enemy. No. What must I do to get back with God? Nothing. What can I do? I'm in Christ. We're not talking about the activity of fellowship. We're talking about crawling back. When your child disobeys you, what can I do to get back to be a child of my daddy and my mama? What, what are you, crazy? You're my child. Don't come crawling to me, sweetheart. Don't do that. Stand up and let me and you together hug and kiss one another overcome this mess you see obedience is not what we must do to get back with or please God but the fruit of our desire to please him having already experienced his pleasure over us as his children we don't obey we don't obey so he will be pleased with us he is already pleased with us in Christ that knowledge and experience should be what motivates us to respond to his love with obedient love. We make it our aim to please God, Paul says. Why? Not to get somewhere, not to get something, but as the result of having gotten and experienced him. And now as a result of that, the fruit of that, we obey him. And in that obedience out of a heart of gratitude and confidence and love, he is well pleased as to our obedience. He's already, he's already, he's already fully, may I repeat that? He's already fully forever pleased with us as his children in Christ. We can't get more pleasing from God. So the pleasing here is our loving, responsive obedience to this God who loves us. We can't get more pleasing from God in this way. In John 23, John reiterates the essence of the obedience. And what is this obedience? This is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and that we love one another just as he has commanded us. 
Biblical obedience is having a correct biblical knowledge and faith in the person and work of Christ, which is going to issue forth in loving the brethren. So how do I know I really have been born again and I have been saved? Because I'm finding myself loving these people here. And even when I'm treated this way, I'm still loving that person. That only God does in me as a consequence of the indwelling of the Spirit. And so John concludes by introducing another essential element in our ability to experience fellowship, and it is the essential element in our ability. The first time he's brought this out. How is all of this done? How is all of this possible? Verse 24, whoever keeps his commandment abides in him, and he in them. And by this we know that he abides in us, by the Spirit whom he has given us. The very basis and ability of our fellowship with God is the presence and power and work of his Holy Spirit who lives in us. Romans 5, 5, for the love of God has been shed abroad, has been poured out abroad in our hearts by the Spirit who, whom he has given to us, who's been given to us. Okay? So next week, we'll be talking about 1 John 4, 1 through 6, the defending of our fellowship with the Father. See you next week.